The Misalignment of Dreams, an excerpt from my book, Kiss My Mic. Every family has their favorite Christmas traditions. Mine was no exception. Our holiday festivities would often start on Christmas Eve, when all the members of the extended family on my dad's side, including his sisters and their respective spouses and kids, would gather around at Mama Julie's house in the province for a special Noche Buena dinner starting at around 6pm or so. We would have lechon, which was a whole pig roasted with its crunchy skin on, along with its face, eyes, nose, everything. It was kind of morbid if you asked me, but whatever, it was a Filipino thing. We would even put an apple inside the pig's mouth, sort of like a decoration, the final garnish to complete the dew like a star-shaped Christmas tree topper during the holidays. There would be other dishes too, including my favorite Pinoy-style spaghetti, which was sweeter than the Italian version, along with pancit, lumpia, and lots of desserts. Each one of us would line up to get food. My relatives and I would devour everything that was on the table. Everything, including the remaining pieces of that crispy lechon, and all the tasty desserts. All the kids, at least 15 of us if not more, including the SJ boys, would then spend the next hour or so playing various games, including the popular Filipino sport called the patentero. There would be Christmas music playing softly in the background, which would occasionally cause some of us to start singing, but only to be interrupted by real Christmas carolers who would sing in front of our gate in the province. Once these unexpected visitors finished their songs, Mama Julie, or one of the elders, like Aunt Jade or Uncle Fred, would give the carolers some money. After dinner, we would all hang out in the living room at Mama Julie's house, where the gift-giving activities would commence. All the elders would give various gifts to the kids. So in total, each kid would receive three or four gifts. Everyone else would be merry, and that feeling of merriment would continue until the following day, Christmas, when it was time to go to church and visit other relatives who had not been present during the previous night's dinner. In 2007, after I had been living in the United States for more than four years, I went back to the Philippines to spend Christmas with my family. It was my first time back home since I left for the U.S. permanently in 2003. However, while there was still a lot of food this time around, and the carolers showed up once again for some holiday tunes in exchange for money, I didn't quite have the same merriment as I had felt in the past. Something was missing, and frankly, it was one of the most miserable Christmases I had ever had. Months prior to my trip, I had already been feeling disconnected from my immediate family. Sometime during the year, Melissa got married to Francis, the guy she met working at the government office in Manila. I did not bother to go home and be part of the celebration then. I was still in pain, even angry at her for rejecting me. Occasionally, I would chat with Mitch or Melai on the phone or through instant messenger. Mitch was still working in the province as a customer service representative, while Melai was still in college. As for Dad, I learned that he became even more active at church. 
He was now one of the lay ministers in the local parish, assisting the priest at Mass every weekend and was part of the overall church ensemble. He would also give communion to the parishioners, and occasionally he would travel to the different towns too to talk to various people about the Word of God. Dad still had no idea I was gay. Almost everyone said, He's not ready to hear about it yet. So I went along with whatever it was that they were planning to do or whenever the rest of my family thought Dad would be ready to find out. Around that time too, I found out that Mom had been diagnosed with diabetes and that she had started taking medications. But that news did not register in my mind either. The only thing that had registered was a surprising revelation that my mother had not been using all the money that I was sending monthly to pay off all our loans. I found out that she had bought a small piece of land somewhere in our province using part of the money which I had sent. The lot was not big, less than an acre, but yes, a fucking piece of land. Her rationale was she wanted to surprise me and that she had bought the property for me. Are you kidding me? I said to mom on the phone. I was so upset. I'm sorry, Kel, but I had bought the lupa in case you decide to come back home to the Philippines so that you can build a house here too for yourself and that you will see all the fruits of your hard work, mom said, explaining her decision to me. Oh my God, I replied. I was so furious. I could not get over the fact that I had been sending money this whole time, thinking it was to pay off all our remaining loans so that we could be done with all the obligations. So that I could be done with my obligations. But sadly, I realized that my mom had a completely different idea. She was using only a part of my remittance to pay off the loans, which we still owed, and then the other part was used to pay for the land, which the seller had agreed to be paid on an installment basis. I did not argue with my mom any longer. However, I was still mad. At some point, she asked if I would prefer for her to simply sell the land so that we could start over. But I decided to keep the status quo and go along with whatever was already in motion. Our keeping the land and me continuing to send money, not only to pay the debts that we still owed from before, but also to pay the installments that were now due for that new property. I was resentful, and my resentment towards her, my mother, stayed with me for a long, long time. The reason why I was resentful was not just because mom lied to me, or that she omitted telling me such pertinent info, or whatever you want to call it. It was more than that. You see, I had this whole plan worked out in my head. When I first moved to America, I had this dream of becoming successful, which sounds vague, but I assure you there was an absolute specificity to what I had envisioned. I imagined myself working in corporate America. I was wearing a two- or three-piece formal business suit, fine Italian fabric, bespoke, and complete with a matching designer-labeled necktie. I was walking around Manhattan hurriedly to get to an important meeting. I also had a fancy leather messenger bag hanging on my right shoulder, a cup of Starbucks coffee in my right hand, and a cell phone attached to my left ear. I was on the phone for yet another important discussion. My work location was somewhere in New York, somewhere fancy. 
like a big corporation or a conglomerate of sorts. My primary abode was also in the city, a penthouse condo that had a killer view. On weekends, I would either stay at my other house in the suburbs or go out with friends, like maybe play tennis or go sailing somewhere. Some weeks or months were just too busy for me with lots of business travel too. Paris, London, Amsterdam. Occasionally, I would find time for some personal R&R, like spending a week in the Maldives or checking out the latest African safari. I don't need to mention, as it seems already obvious, that along with all of that, I also had enough money saved in the bank. Not Warren Buffett level, but something decent enough. After all, I wanted my dreams to be realistic. However, sometime in the middle of my pursuit of that very specific dream, I realized that I had to take care of my family first. I was in America for a reason, I thought. My family expected me to help them. I needed to make sure that they were taken care of before I could even think of pursuing my dreams for myself. As such, reality had confronted me with the fact that we still had a lot of debts to pay, and thus, the first order of business was for me to pay off all our existing loans first so that our family can be completely debt-free. Then, there were other needs that had come up too for ongoing expenses like the money that was needed to pay for my younger sister's education and other bills. Once all of that was done, my next step was to buy a bigger house for my parents, complete with all the fancy stuff inside, including some nice furniture and appliances, and a new car too, in case they needed to go somewhere. Most of all, I wanted my family to enjoy life. I wanted my parents to travel occasionally, either just the two of them, so that mom and dad could have romantic alone time together, or with us, their children, so that the rest of us could enjoy life together. You see, that was my dream. Those were my plans all along. However, my mom messed up my plans. I wanted my dreams for them to come true first, because only then would I have time to focus on my dreams for myself. My philosophy was, the longer it took for their dreams to come true, the longer I had to wait for mine to become a reality as well. I was afraid of failure. I did not want to be one of those guys who only talked about their dreams coming true, only to realize that they never happened or that they would never, ever happen. I also felt like time was running out, and so these dreams needed to happen soon. The thing about dreams, though, is they're quite tricky. There might be a commonality in some of those dreams among you and your loved ones, but only as it relates to broader themes like being successful or traveling around the world. There are finer details that might not be the same between the people involved. For instance, being successful could mean one thing to person A, but it could mean something completely different to person B. Traveling around the world sounds nice, but person A might have dreams of going to a tropical destination, while person B prefers the complete opposite. You see, dreams are specific. Dreams are individual. There is a difference between my dreams for myself and other people's dreams for me, like my family's. Likewise, there is also a difference between my dreams for them, my loved ones, and their dreams for them. It's great if our dreams are always aligned, but 
Nine times out of ten, they are not. I was clear about what I wanted for myself. My vision was so vivid, including the bespoke Italian suit and the weekend sailing pastime with friends. But to mom, my being successful meant something else. The details were so different. She thought that I would want a big house for myself in the Philippines so that I could enjoy all the fine things that I had accumulated throughout the years. She also thought, albeit incorrectly, that part of my dream was to come back to my home country and enjoy the fruits of my labor. But that was not the case. It was a complete misalignment of our dreams. Likewise, mom's dreams for herself were different from my dreams for her. All this time, I thought that maybe she wanted a big house with all the nice appliances and everything else. And occasionally, I thought she would want to travel to many different places. But it seemed that her priority was to see us, her children, be successful first and foremost. And as for herself, she only wanted something simple. At some point during this crazy dream pursuit ordeal, she told me that once she's retired, she would want to live in a smaller house in the province, almost a hut somewhere in the countryside, like in the popular Filipino song called the Bahay Kubo. She wanted her house to overlook a moderate-sized piece of land with many different types of crops planted, sort of like a mini farm that was filled with trees, vegetables, fruits, and other things. It was something simple, something fulfilling, and that was her dream for herself. But somehow, I failed to see the difference between what we wanted for each other. None of this changes the fact that my plans were derailed, that my plans were screwed, all because of my mom. Somehow, it felt like I was such a failure. I failed miserably because none of what I had wanted, either for myself or for them, ever happened. And so, given everything else, I felt I had no choice but to move on. Suck it up, as they say. I was ready to move on, but I just could not help but feel resentful. As a result, I decided to no longer put myself in second place behind them, my family, even though I had continued to send money following that revelation from mom about the purchase of the land, I started to set aside money for my own sake, kind of like an emergency fund. Then, once I started my MBA, my idea was to cut off my family remittance completely, and they would have to deal with everything else on their own. I justified it by thinking I had already done my part, even though it did not work out since we still had lots of loans to pay. I argued that. It was not my fault anymore because my mom did not take my words seriously when I told her to use my remittance money to prioritize our debts. Maybe she thought that my remittance was going to continue endlessly too, perhaps thinking that the money that they were getting came from the trees, just like how all the other Filipino families with one member working abroad usually think. When I finally arrived in the Philippines to spend Christmas with my family, I greeted and kissed my mom. But that resentment was still there. I greeted and kissed my dad too. But along with it was the feeling that I was hiding my true self from him, since nobody had dared tell him anything about my sexuality yet. I also feared that he would reject me. Worst of all, Mama Julie also asked me if I had a girlfriend, to which I replied with my typical line of, Oh, I'm still focused on my work right now, so I can't do that yet. I also had a conversation with Melissa, who tried to remain calm, at least in the beginning, 
by starting with a positive vibe saying, Sorry for what I said before. Just you know that we only want what's best for you and that we love you. Somehow, I felt like there was a but coming in her sentence. A few seconds later, Melissa continued, But for you to know, I didn't even think twice about what I said. Confused with her mixed message, I replied, Huh? Well, I found out about your blog, she said, and it hurts me to know about your bad experiences. What do you mean, I asked. I don't know if you'll agree with me, but sex is not the thing that matters. It's true love, and that will come to you. But please, do not hook up, Melissa added. It seemed Melissa's stance had changed slightly. She was no longer quoting the Bible, telling me being gay was a sin, or that I needed to pray to God so that he would heal me. She still told me to go to church, but she said the reason for that was so I could become closer to him. It seemed she was okay with my being gay, so long as I don't act it out, meaning I don't hook up or have sex with a guy, or I don't act like one, referring to not acting like those stereotypical flamboyant gays in the country who often worked at beauty parlors and were looked down upon. I hope you would see that we don't want you to be like them. We just don't want you to get hurt, she said. But, Ate, you can't protect me from getting hurt. Everybody gets hurt, I replied, using the term which meant big sister in Filipino. Melissa then responded with things like, Well, why would you even allow for a chance to get hurt if you can avoid it to begin with? So, the only way to avoid is if I am not gay? I asked, getting slightly more furious as it seemed the conversation was just going circular. You can't help but for us to be worried, especially if we read on your blog that you tend to play around, Melissa said sternly, with her view that she was only trying to protect me. It also feels like it is our fault because we allowed you to go to the U.S. alone, she added. Melissa then concluded with, Kuchi, this is so hard for us, but I have to guide you. That's what I feel. So, respect me for that, because pretty soon, I will have to concentrate on my marriage with Frances anyway. At that point, I knew there was no reason to continue the conversation, so I only said what she wanted to hear. Okay, I understand. However, there was so much anger and resentment inside of me. She had said so many things, and a lot of it was no longer about issues that pertained to me or my sexuality. It seemed, Melissa was going through so many issues on her own, in her own mind, mostly stemming from the religious influence and the societal expectations that had been imposed on her. As the eldest sibling, she felt it was her responsibility to ensure we, the younger ones, were taken care of. However, her definition of being taken care of was only based on her own subjective beliefs. In the context of my being gay, I knew that if it was up to her, She would have preferred for me to be straight. She kept saying things like, What would others say? What would others say if they found out that you were gay? Or, What would others say if they found out that you have been hooking up or playing around? I did not know why she was so focused so much on what others would say, but that was all she cared about. Even though in reality, nobody would probably even care. She then reiterated to me that dad might not be ready to hear about my being gay yet. But Melissa said that mom already knew. 
and that she was fine with it too. Although my mother never mentioned anything to me the entire time I was back home during Christmas. Melissa said that we should trust mom as our mother knew the best way to talk to dad once he was ready. He might have a heart attack, Melissa even added, somehow providing a rationale for why we should delay telling him about me. Fuck, that was just way too much to carry as a burden, I thought. A heart attack? Caused by me because I was gay? If that was not emotional manipulation at its highest level, then I did not know what is. So I kept everything inside me. I only told my family what they wanted to hear. And for the rest of the time, I kept my mouth shut while pretending everything was okay, that everything was fine, that we were all so happy together as a family, celebrating Christmas just like in the olden days. We even went to church on Christmas Day, but deep inside, I felt like I was a zombie. There was emptiness inside, but I also felt like there was so much more that I had wanted to let out, so much rage and anger and resentment and feeling hurt, but nobody seemed to care. Nobody seemed to understand. I went back to the U.S. feeling empty. It's the last time I had celebrated Christmas with them. Well, as of the present moment anyway. Although I have gone back to the Philippines a few more times since that episode, it was never during Christmas time. It was also the last time I yearned to uphold our typical holiday traditions of pure merriment and all the food or the Christmas carolers in front of our house, gifts from our relatives, games with the other kids, everything. I was finally accepting the idea that our Christmas traditions were not the same. Everything was just in the past now. The only thing that was left to do was move forward. And that was what I did. In early 2008, my MBA applications had come back. One of them was from NYU, who sent me a rejection letter, and another one from the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Congratulations! We are pleased to offer you acceptance to our MBA class of 2010. Holy fuck, I thought. This is it. My chance to get back on fulfilling my dreams. Not my family's dreams. Not my dreams for them either. But my dreams for me. There was just one slight problem. Getting accepted at UNC meant I had to move to North Carolina. So I thought, what about Sergey? He knew that I was applying to a few schools, but he never took it seriously. Once again, I was facing a dilemma between choosing a career or my relationship. For the last couple of months, everything with Sergey had gone well. We lived in the same apartment together. We were happy. We even talked about buying a house together. But as happened before, when I got the job in New Jersey, I felt that I knew what I needed to do. I had to go for it. I had to follow my dreams. Getting an MBA had become the one thing that I genuinely wanted for myself. Otherwise, I would continue to feel like I was such a failure. I had to accept the offer from UNC. I had to. I told Sergey about my acceptance letter. His reaction was neutral. He neither congratulated me nor showed any signs of sadness. It was just his stereotypical system engineer nature, being somewhat emotionless at times. It seemed he was Russian after all almost stereotypically stern about showing any of that emotional kind of stuff. In fact, I had never received any greeting card from him whatsoever. The whole hallmark way of conveying thoughts was just not his style, which was odd because he could be sweet too. 
for this time being, and regarding the news of my acceptance at UNC, there was no dramatic reaction from him, even though it meant I would have to move to a different state away from him. It'll only be for two years, I told Sergey, assuring him that my move was only going to be temporary. My plan was to come back to New Jersey after graduation. However, things don't always quite work out as planned. It seemed destiny once again had other plans. <laughs> 